to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 112 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, book four, The Crystal Shard, from the beginning of the book through chapter eight, I think, roughly, and then also, like, the first epilogue before listening to this episode. That way you, too, can follow along. So, it's the beginning of this book, and we're finally into the actual first book of the Legend of the Dritz, uh, the Legend of Dritz series, Salvatore's first real book, and uh, we finally get to see what that's actually like, as as opposed to what the other three books were like, which weren't the best. <laughs> so. We should start with an edition edition. We should. I'll go first. Why don't you go first? I'll go first. I wish I could tell anything about my books. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, the, my, mine is the uh, 2005 copy written Wizards of the, of the Coast reprint that has book f- four, the Crystal Shard, written on the side. So it's not like some other version. <laughs> it, uh, it says this edition first printing January 2007. I kind of feel like this is I feel like what this is this is the first printing of the paperback version of this book maybe. Um I don't think that's how it works. Do you have a list of numbers counting down? Where? Um Oh yeah, 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 I do. Right under that stuff? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I do. Mine it says 987654. Then I think yours is the 4th edition. I think that's how that works. Oh, interesting. I believe I, I, th- I believe I learned that in my time in the bookstore world, the CD well, underbelly. That's, that's better. Borders. That's better. So cool. Well, now I know. Um, now I could be wrong. If I am, please let me know. Otherwise, I'm totally right. Now nah, we don't have any listeners. It's fine. No one, will, no one will care <laughs> to you. Um, but mine also. I purchased this book from Tidal Wave, in Anchorage, in that first batch of Dritz book purchases back it says it was they they purchased it and put it on the shelves on october 19th 2013 so way back then i picked these up for the first time is this the and and what's so that's all i got for mine um nothing else about this this seems special well for the first time in a long time probably since raptor red Mm. i have an actual book physical book that's the same one i have physical copy no not quite because mine is going by my logic the sixth printing oh and it has a sticker on the back that says whatever put on the shelf seven seven of ten 2010 which is interesting that mine is a newer printing but was per but was up for sale or resale older so at the start of this new book uh we've already done the edition edition so we do have a little bit of housekeeping uh which is that we had talked about in, the, in some point in the last three books about Dritz. I think it was the end of the last book. We had mm-hmm. talked about Dritz, the issues of, of racism with the drow coming into play when it with the with the audience, with readership, and, and the idea of using racist tropes to identify an entire like group of people as uniformly bad or even good but in this case it was uniformly bad and then and then the parallels being drawn 
between the dark skin drow and evilness was right. was is is problematic. I may I think I made if I remember the points I made correctly, my my perspective on it was and still is to some degree that I I feel like I kind of get what Salvatore was doing in that sense where he was talking about if you can if you can believe that if you can believe that that's possible that an entire group of people is uniformly one way and that that way is bad then it would be potentially powerful and moving to give you an example of a person from a culture that is unequivocally evil according to the text Mm -hmm. and have that character have to overcome that so that maybe you as the like prejudiced or prone bigotly bigotedly prone reader could look at that and, and say oh wow Maybe I've, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm, maybe this is like pie in the sky stuff, but like, I would, I'd like to think that maybe that's, that might be the thing that a couple people would get something out of that. Mm. They might take away like a life lesson and like learn from it. And I think that's still true. And I think that, I think that those three books really do a good job of, of explaining that message in a way that's relatable with, through the character of Dritz, who struggles with feeling like he is and and i think the problem with my i mean sorry i'll finish that first thought he struggles with the uh those prejudices and struggles with his own rejection of his own society but i think the problem in my own like analysis there is that you don't like see that the initial representation of the drought is incorrect which is what happens with racism you essentially have to accept that no they are all evil and there are some good ones and that's the problem Right. I think where it's like, whereas I was hopeful that the idea that some people who were racist might read this book and go, oh, wow, I'm dumb. Like I'm, I'm the, you know, uh, the nerdy white person who reads through fantasy novels and doesn't know like any, any people of any, (laughs) of any other skin tones or any other cultures, because I'm, you know, a, a, any sort of whatever prejudice you want to imagine about that sort of reclusive shut in nerdy racist that it, it really charmed me. The idea that perhaps a book like this that might appeal to those people would be the catalyst to push them over the edge of, of recognizing their own flaws in the way they approach the world. Mm-hmm. And I still hope that that happened and is true. But I think that like, if you're talking about the book who get that gets, read and absorbed by people who feel like they're the victim of that kind of prejudice. I I guess what I I'm hearing out in the world is that that doesn't resonate in a positive way. That that feels right. more like saying the thing about like, there are some good ones or someone being like one of the good ones, those turns of phrases. I No one can see my air quotes. I'm throwing up air quotes over those phrases <laughs> to make it clear that I'm not using them without understanding it's, it's a there's a there's a point there so the 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 housekeeping is that earlier this week like four days ago from the recording of uh, the time of this recording uh on july 22nd 2021 an article came out on epic stream that rob and i both saw independently um uh, that was titled dungeons and dragons dritz creator r.a salvatore says racist drought tropes have got have to go away and in it is an article where he talks about like that exact thing like he doesn't he doesn't get too deep into like 
why he did certain things with those books and why he hasn't done other things. But basically, he's announcing, as a little bit of publicity, I'm sure, that he is going to have Dritz in his 37th book. Oh, boy. So 37 books later, he will encounter, as far as I remember, uh, two new drow cultures that are different enough from the drow of Menzo Baranzan that it, I, I think the, the goal is to show that like the initial idea that there is one type of, of person from one group and ha- how wrong that is uh, by right. being like, well, here are a bunch of others that contradict that. Here are a bunch of other groups of people that we would consider the same as, as this, as the drow, but are completely, like completely different philosophically and, and culturally i don't know if that's i don't i don't know other than that i'm not really quite sure how to feel about it other than just acknowledging that it does exist i i think that one of the things this article does a really good job at doing article written by jake viper great name buddy it's an article with bite yeah he uh he suggests that with the fifth edition of D- dungeons and dragons launched in 2014 race was presented as a gamified concept Wizards of the Coast once again cast the drow orcs and the uh, Vistani as inherently evil. There was a backlash from the community and social media, and amid the backdrop of the 2020 Black Lives Matter protest last year, the the publisher, I think is what he meant to say, it's a typo here, issued a formal apology and promised to make changes to the lore and mechanics of D&D. And so I think that, I think what he's kind of trying to suggest in this article is that that may have affected salvatore's decision to make these changes but (laughs) he does say this uh here uh this is all right salvatore saying i can't tell you how many letters i've gotten over the years from people who have said thank you for dritz salvatore told the outlet i finally have someone who looks like me on the one hand you have that but on the other hand if the drow are being portrayed as evil that's a trope that's got to go away or that has to go away be buried under the deepest pit and never brought out again. I was unaware of that. I admit it. I was oblivious. Nothing's being dictated to me, Salvatore added. I'm not retrofitting or retconning the drow. I'm expanding the drow. And so that's where, like, I think that the reason they included that line is to suggest that there may be some potential... Cabal? Yeah, there may be, like, a move by the company itself to try to fix this. And this may be part of that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all it's all part of Big Dragon's plan. Yeah, their plot. Uh, lastly, though, he does say these aren't game books; they're novels. Salvatore explained, novels are supposed to reflect the time period they were written in. There's no reason to parentheses in which they were written prepositions. Sorry, there's no there's no reason to make any changes because there's nothing in my early books philosophically that's different than who I am today. I'm just more aware of certain things in the books that became problematic, but philosophically that's who I am. That's who I've always been. I just try to be better. And sure enough, his next book comes out August 3rd. The next books in the, the book in the Dritz series comes out August 3rd. Is that part of its own trilogy? Do you know, or is it a first in the it something? It is. I have looked into it. It is the first in its own trilogy called the way of the drow. Oh, I don't think I'm going to, progress through all of them to get to that oh i don't think you will either i I don't (laughs) but it is intriguing i might i might check the wikipedia out on it yeah the uh 
30 fucking seven books by this time next week. Did you have any thoughts about the, the depiction of race in the books as a person who was unfamiliar with playing the game? That's a good question. No, because I feel it's a pretty fantasy trope, fantastical trope, however you would say that, uh, to have races um, embodying, you know, an entire walk of life. Even even in Star Trek, you know. Oh yeah. The Klingons are the 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 battle characters, and the Vulcans are the logical one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it 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 just, especially with the time it was written, I'm just like sure. I just rolled with it. I, I, I didn't see it as any. I, I, I did always wonder, because I think you've brought this up, if they're an underground society, why is it their skin is black and not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did bring that up. Yeah, the, the idea of, like, we see we see creatures in nature that actually exist in the, the conditions that these creatures are depicted as existing in, and they look uh, completely opposite. Metamorphically, it made no sense. Right. Evolutionarily, it made no sense. Right. So that would always, I was like, huh. And I think it's very easy to go from huh to, wait a second, are they making a point? Right. Yeah, it's 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 also, it's diff. That's one of the criticisms I would have about, like, I think the criticisms of the races in these books are fair. And races, mm-hmm. race in, in, as a game mechanic in Dungeons and Dragons is fair to a degree like i think you nailed it on on the comparison with like it's as a fantasy fiction trope if you will uh regardless of what the because that's the thing this article sort of highlights is that the people are only people are only having the problems when they are attributing negative characteristics to races right they're not having a problem with you know i don't know any of the good races and i don't even know what that would even i don't I, like because because as far as i can tell like when i play dungeons and dragons that stuff's not really like the alignment has gone away as far as i can right. recall so right it, it you know it, it just becomes I more the cultural. only true good race is canadians right um but except french canadians they're the, the well, no the, i mean they're, they're, the, they're the drow they're the canadian drow exactly yeah <laughs> um so so i think that like it's important to recognize that in this genre, it isn't abnormal to create a group of people or an alien race, a fantasy race, a culture that's purpose is to be symbolic of a human trait. Like, sure. and, and then you have that be like to anthropomorphize a aspect of humanity into one group so that you could see what that would look like if our culture specifically valued those aspects of, of our existence of our humanity. And then, and then you look at that and you go, Oh, this is, this is fiction. These are all learning moments. This is all giving, setting examples for me to, to observe and look at. That's true. Although I, now that I'm thinking about it, it almost seems like it's a way to uh, reinforce your prejudices. Because then you can you can you can make a race that um, embodies the trope you don't like, which you might assign to a real you know group of people in real life, and then if you're fighting just that trope and 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 these people are all that way, like saying uh, <laughs> saying Jews are greedy is bad, but if you have the Ferengi mm. who can embody that, who are stereotypically kind of based on Jewish people. Um, then that can kind of reinforce in your the creator's mind that those are realistic stereotypes. Yeah, it's it's tough because it like 
I guess it, it sort of depends on like, do these, it depends on, I guess for me, like do the, does the character or the group actually stem from a, is it a placeholder? Is it supposed sure. to be a placeholder for an actual group of people? And if that's the case, that's not cool. But if what's happening is because of aspects of these characters, if people are projecting what they recognize in their real world onto those characters and then deciding, oh, Ferengis are like Jewish people, then that's really the audience doing the work. And, sure, and, and, I, and, and like, I, I, I've definitely heard from other people that like this is a thing about the Ferengi. Like specifically, that's a thing. I, I don't I, I didn't watch any of the next gen documentaries, so I don't know like if that no, was no, something no, they you, outright yeah. say is like oh no absolutely they're supposed to be Jewish. Like I don't remember if that's a thing. I think I was trying to make a broader point though, and I I, I shouldn't have used specific examples. No no it's, I mean I, like I'm sorry I I, I think you made a great example. I think the the, the example of Ferengi's is a great example. Um. Because again, it's not just you. It's something I've heard from other people. So sure, like, no, no. I but like even Star Wars. I want let's look Star Wars and their planets. They do the same thing. You have a snow planet. You have a, 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 a desert planet. You have a forest planet. Planets aren't really like that. Planets have all ranges of topography and um, biospheres, what have you. And I think when fantasy and fiction does this, it, it can train our brains to assume there can be this thing that embodies just this one aspect instead of having a varied culture. Sure. And I think that that's, a, again, unfortunately, I think that's a problem in the reader because I think there's an element of like recognizing what is fictitious about fiction and what is real about fiction. It reminds me of like what I always remember hearing people say, like the reason Fox news is allowed to do the crazy shit they do is because they slide under the, the first amendment as entertainment. Okay. They, they slide in all their prejudice presented as in the same style, in the same uh, visualizations of news, but they will have the majority of their programming be opinion it'll be like punditry, like topically right. covered, uh, like editorial with someone standing in front of you telling you what they think about the thing or telling you what to think about the thing. And they, the thing that they've always been able to argue in court and otherwise is our audience knows the difference between news and opinion. And I don't think that's true. I think it's right. demonstrably true that their audience does not know the difference between those two things. Right. Which puts the responsibility on Fox to be better. N well, no, it's it's a mix of both. Sorry, it's a mix of okay. both where it's like, okay. there's one thing where it's like, Fox should be held account by regulatory officials who can tell that they're full of shit. Sure. And acknowledge that we have, an, they're, they've transcended, in my opinion, they've transcended the good faith of of entertainment and their audience is is not understanding the difference. There's not mm -hmm. enough disclaimer to say all of the things that we're saying in the show are, are, are solely the opinion of Tucker right. Carlson or whoever. Right. And their audiences are going around living their life based on th that information as if it's gospel. So, yes, they they're, it's not that they're not at fault, but they're also, in my opinion, more malicious than someone like I, I don't then I believe like Salvatore is. Or, oh, yeah. Or, yeah. So so. But my, my main comparison here is really to say that the the audience does need to work a little harder. But, like, 
I think that it should be, in my, I guess it's my opinion, again, that in fantasy fiction, it should be much clearer that this stuff should not be taken literally. Like, there are not elves. If, you, if, if like, you can't get through that point, then you need a lot more comprehension training than I want to spend time on. That's the, fair. The, the figurative you, obviously. Um, so, I... So in that sense, like as a, as an element of this genre, I actually, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's the necessarily like the author's fault with things like that. Like going back to the Ferengi, like again, like if that was a deliberate thing, then that was brazenly racist and brazenly prejudiced. And it's, it's hard to believe that that would come from something as initially as inclusive as Star Trek went out of its way to be. Sure. And 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 that seems like a betrayal of Roddenberry's as crazy as he was, his original vision for the optimistic future. So I think it's much more likely that people who have lived with those prejudices or observed them in culture and learned how as a society we categorize other people are able to project those commonalities, those similarities onto a group like the Ferengi and go, oh, uh, obsessed with acquisition, wealth, bargaining, like deals, those things. This, this, it. I guess it makes sense that someone could say, "Oh, that sounds like this other prejudice in my real world," and then like conflate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, to me, the important part comes down to the intent of the authors um, versus the interpretation of the audience. They're both sure. important, but like, I, I, for me, as on a personal level. Uh, I think there are some malicious authors out there and I think it's easy to attribute malice, but I don't sure. think it's, is, I don't think it's as, as, as earned as it sometimes gets. Uh, Not everybody is Lovecraft or um, uh, like Ayn Rand or, or, <laughs> or something like that. Like it's, it can, it just, yeah. Or Harper Lee. I don't know what's going on with that. I'm, I didn't read Ghost of Watchmen. And since there's so much outrage culture, I didn't yes. even really look at the articles. Same. I, I, I was just like, man, my memory is that the whole point of To Kill a Mockingbird was like the opposite of the shit you guys are saying. I mean, from the little gleanings I've had, it's, are you suggesting that, I'm so bad about this because the movie is foremost in my mind. So Sure, sure. Gregory Peck's character, Atticus, right? Yes. Uh, that Atticus had a character growth between the two books. That's a good thing. That's we want people to do that. People right. should do that. Right. So yes, I I don't know what's going on there. I still love the movie. Yeah. Robert Duvall's early work. Yeah, doesn't he play Boo Radley? Yeah. He's just quiet the whole time. Yeah. Um, I think he's a lot of ooh. Yeah. Um. So uh, I feel like it's it's it's. Like I want to, I think I think Salvatore is taking the the correct path here in this article and mm-hmm. this this information and saying like, listen, I'm not gonna go back in special edition my fucking books. Like I'm not gonna go back and rewrite them to appeal to the modern audience in a way that would be untrue to how the thing I wrote 30 years ago. Just dovetails nicely into my housekeeping. But I will say that I think that saying, like he said here, like. I just try to be better is exactly mm-hmm. the right thing that everyone should try to be. And I think that goes for especially people who are, who get immersed in, uh, in, in outrage culture in this, 
compulsion to seek out new outrage, to seek out a new thing to be incensed about and, and to get wrapped up in and become excited about. And I, cause I think that, I think that happens to people. I don't have any like evidence, but I think that, I think that people get, they like the bandwagon of the mob. There is, there is a thrill to get, there's a, it's like a prelude to righteousness. Yes. Like, I'm going to get pissed about this. And if it falls, then I was on. I was there. Yeah, and you, and you I, can, and you can see me. Oh, I was mad, and I was, I was right. It was my courtroom moment. That like that concept of like the the thrill of being on the right side of history, or even oh, yeah. just like the the right in general. Um, yeah. Um. Because. <laughs> mm. I don't want to go that big. Damn it. <laughs> Any kind of atrocity from the past that. Mm. We're never to let happen again. People are. It feels sometimes like people are trying to not let it happen again, from a glory hound point of view. Yes. Instead of just making life better by not letting it happen again. It's that sense of superiority. It's like that part of it. Yes. Is, it's much less. It seems like, for some people, it's much less about the actual subject matter of the thing they're railing against. Yes. Or railing for. And much more about the thrill of feeling like they did something right. Like they got yes. they got an achievement for making a statement one way or the other. I'm gonna melt all these motherfuckers' face off. Right. I and guess. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about oh. making life better. Right, right, exactly. It's about it's about <laughs> being like like yeah, like I it's it's that thing where like you, you wanna be a part of something that makes the change, not because the being a part of the change is important, but but the change itself is important. Right. Um so anyway, I'd love to hear what your housekeeping was. We had also had a conversation about Dritz's, damn it, I still can't say it, uh, little asides and preludes to sections. Yes. And how we wondered if they were originally there or something that was added with the prequels and maybe retconned. Oh, special edition. That's why you said that would be a good... So I went a looking like because it was you know published in a different form in 1988 originally. I wanted to see were there you know like changes, without trying to get too many spoilers. And actually, it seems there were very few. Nice. There was one thing I found that he changed, and it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. I don't think I care. Um, but in this book originally. There's a line, I don't even think we've got to it yet in the book, where it said Dritz spent 200 years in the Underdark. Oh, so he's just going back to say it was like 50. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That 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 seems to be the only retcon I've found that this book we will we will experience and change, that he's only in his 40s or his 50s. That's not nearly as egregious as the changes to Tarzan. No. No, it's not. Um, so I, I was like, okay, you know what? I don't really like your your little dritzed musings, but right. apparently they are true to the book, so I'll it's, give you that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, agreed. If, if they are part of the original vision for this character and this style of writing, fine. <laughs> fine, I guess they are. Yeah, uh, so I think that ends our, our housekeeping, right? That's it. Uh, good job on your housekeeping, by the way. That's something I had been curious about, but I hadn't had the gumption or the the initiative to go do it myself. 
I know, maybe it was something about having an actual book in my hand meant my device was free and I could go look it up. Because I'm like, oh, mm. I should check that out before I start reading. Yeah. Maybe there's something to these actual books after all. Maybe there's something to this paper-bound novels. All right, well, let's move into discussing The Crystal Shard. The the book that started it all, apparently. I, uh, I'd like to start with... The Dedication. Yes. Um... So, the dedication. I I wrote I wrote this about the dedication. It's weird to realize that I'm as old as Dritz Dewarden. <laughs> that realization fills me with a strange uh, strange unease. Besides that, I found this to be a deeply relatable passage. Thinking about how my D and D playgroup all moved out of state is a lonesome thought that feels less lonely when Salvatore expresses similar feelings, even if those feelings are 33 years old. Sure. It's also humorously quaint to hear him talk about the challenges of using software. <laughs> that was adorable. He's like, oh, it makes everything so tricky. I'm like, really? Does it? I guess <laughs> like, it would have, though, just, back then. Just write it on a fucking typewriter then, dude. Like, what do you? <laughs> I'm sure it'll be... E- if it's easier, just do it that way. Well, I, th- I think the, the pros outweighed the cons. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, still. Um, my only note on the dedication, and I wasn't trying to be super negative, but I had not mm. read these books in physical form yet, and mm. this was the first time I realized how small the print was. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's okay. But I mean, got used to it. But it is it does seem smaller print than usual paperbacks I read. So I was taken aback, it does, but it wasn't a horrible. It does kind of have a like a slight Bibleish quality. Maybe to the maybe size. that was it. Okay, that's it. Okay, uh, well then that brings us to Prelude. All right, this is what I have on the Prelude. <laughs> okay, Urtu is the name of the demon searching for the crystal shard who is working for the seven liches who created the artifact itself. Okay, the shard. Yep. Krenshinibob. Uh, Krenshinibun. Okay, Krenshinibob, the, titu- the titular shard, is the combined phylactery of those seven liches, and you are familiar with what a phylactery is? I, I'm not. Okay. That, that's that's the guy I, who steps out on his wife, right? Nope, that's a philanderer. Oh. Um, this is a guy who likes to give to charities? Is it like a... Like a... No, that's a philanthropist is oh. what you're thinking of. This, oh, this is someone who has the extra finger on their hand. No, that's a vestigial? Polydactyl. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, what is uh, what is a phylactery? A phylactery is a uh okay. So in the process of becoming a lich, mm. a wizard has to imbue a part of their power or a part of something. Uh, into an artifact that they maintain and protect for if it dies, they too die. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, and this is something that happens so that when the lich, when the wizard dies, it can come back as a lich. It can become an undead. uh, A Sararak is a lich. And so what the, all these seven wizards did is they all, I think what it's trying to suggest is that they all, made the shard itself their own phylactery, I think is what this this prelude was saying. Okay. So imagine it's an it's a <laughs> um it's an inverse Voldemort. They had That makes s- yes. Seven wizards. Seven seven horcruxes making one dude. Right. Um 
or seven wizards making one horcrux something like that yeah yeah it it's <laughs> it, this, so, this is this is a a, a a device or whatever of of incredible dark magic yes exactly and, and it's a specific it's it's a it's always a like a very particular and specific important thing and without it they dorian gray i think like they dissolve they they truly die i don't really know i haven't played temple of doom what was the fucking uh oh. dungeons and dragons thing called tomb of horror tomb of horrors yeah i haven't played that or any uh, anything else with the sarah in it so i don't know mm-hmm. but him he he being the the most famous lich in dnd in my notes i wrote if rob doesn't know what that is just call it a super horcrux <laughs> uh, i'm glad you did <laughs> okay moving on al dimineria is an angelic enemy of urtu who's search also searching for the crystal shard found it and at its burning touch hurled it into Faerun. which is the land which is the land the, the forgotten realms uh, that we're in it's it's the it's it's the land of the sword coast in icewind dale it's 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 where drist lives okay so that's what happens in the prelude is this very like i don't even know how to describe it like otherworldly planner fighting that's happening between demons and angelic figures i don't even remember if it's specifically an angel but i I got the i got the distinct impression that whatever aldimineria is is like the opposite of a demon yeah right did you have any notes in that area i mean other than uh, i deflated a little bit at all the at the silly keyboard mashing names yeah but overall was intrigued and pulled in by this prelude Mm-hmm. I liked it. It it got to the point. It it set things up. Okay. Yeah. Speaking speaking of keyboard smashings and names. Yes. It's no secret that Dungeons and Dragons itself is, and these books specifically are derivative of the work of J.R.R. Tolkien. And that's I think that to a level there's a level of that I've accepted. Like, mm-hmm. oh whatever. Oh it's fine. You know, who cares. Like, what do you expect them to not to have hobbits? Like, they call them halflings. So what? It's the same thing. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that's been my attitude. At a certain point in these books, in this book, specifically this one, I hadn't noticed this before in the other three books, but in this book specifically, there are multiple times when Salvatore uses naming conventions that are very Tolkienish. I can think of two examples that, that really st- stuck out to me. Okay. The crystal shard itself, later in the book, it becomes a tower. So we're, we'll get there eventually, but we're going to talk about this here. It becomes a, a, a like a castle-ish kind of tower. It becomes a stronghold. Well, it makes a tower. I think I thought it itself became. No, a it, tower. it it created a, a facsimile of itself, which grew into the tower. I think it still looks crystal-ish, though. The tower looks exactly like the crystal shard. It's on the back right. of the cover. Yes, but exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm saying they're two different objects. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. So when that when that tower is created and exists, uh, it is referred to as do you remember what he what he called it? I I don't. It's, it's, yeah, okay. Crans it, is is related to the name of the crystal. It's uh I think it's Crystal Tirith. Yeah. Like Minas Tirith. It. Like Minas Tirith, exactly. However, in maybe a way that 
maybe it's okay. So I I looked it up. Okay. You know what does Minas Tirith mean? It means Tower of Guard. Whereas it's a Sindarian word. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, oh no, that, that's that, that that's from Tolkien. You're right. Damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Minas Tirith is 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 definitely a uh, a Tolkien thing. Yeah. Well, um, I just, I thought maybe he took it from Norse or something the way he does. He, I thought, he does. I, say, yeah. I thought Tirith might have roots in our world. Right. And. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe Tirith does come from something else. Um, let's see. It, uh, no, all the stuff I'm reading about it says it only only talks about the Age of Men and like Mordor and shit. Like it doesn't talk about Welsh or Danes or anything like that. I damn it, and I can't find it. Give me a second because I feel like he's not the only one to do this. Hmm. I think I was remembering Willow, where they went to Tear as Lean. Well, another one that came similar. up. Right, right. Um, Miris Mortis is the other one that I can think of, which I think is Tower of Death um, in in another part of the Lord of the Rings film series. But uh, Mor- Morgol? Miris Morgol? Is that what? It, that sounds ma- right. My brain is trying to make my mouth say the things I remember. Um, also known as speaking. The the other one that stuck out is the word Thane, which came in, I think, as, as one of the barbarians' names, or some, some character's name was like Hoff Thane or something like that. And that word Thane really sticks out to me, not necessarily because of of Tolkien, even though it is part of like it's in there. Right. Um, like it's a title, you know, given to people. But um I'm pretty sure that it's one of the it's one of those titles you you get in uh, Skyrim a lot. Mm-hmm. When you play through Skyrim, you become the Thane of the different holds of Skyrim. So you become the Thane of Dragon's Reach or whatever, and that means that you are like the king's important like ambassador of, of violence. So that that word really sticks out to me there too, and I just feel like it's interesting to uh, which again obviously came way after these books. It makes me wonder if if these authors are are using the same things or they're just being derivative from each other. Like, are they using the same inspirations, or are they, or or, or is it directly coming from each other as it bounces through history? Like, I can't remember if if Dane Ironfoot is a thane. For some reason in my head, he is, but I don't know if that's true. I don't know who Dane Ironfoot is. Dane Ironfoot's a a minor dwarf character in Skyrim. No, it's it's in. Uh, uh, the Hobbit movies, and I think he was in like other Tolkien properties. Yeah, but I can't remember. He's the son of Nain, the great grandson of Dane, one of Durin's folk. He was the dwarven king of Durin's folk, the fifth king under the mountain, and the lord of the Iron Hills during the War of the Ring in Middle Earth. Hmm. Duh. Sorry, that's that's on me. But no Thane, so we can move on from this. But right. like, it was definitely something that I. Uh, Cut your eye. It stuck out. So we can move on from etymologies. Part one, ten towns. All right. Summary. Dritz catches us up. Years have apparently passed between the end of Sojourn and the beginning of the Crystal Shard. In that time, he's become great friends with Brunor, Catibree, and someone named Regis, whose race is yet to be revealed. But we know it's not dwarf, human, or drow. Mm-hmm. And there's only so many options left. <laughs> 
Dritz is still living in or around the mountainous passes of Ten Towns in Icewind Dale. By his own account, he's met other people in Ten Towns besides the aforementioned three that have also accepted him, and it seems that the elf has finally found peace. Uh, so I, you've already answered my first question, which is, I don't remember Regis, but is this the introduction of him, or, and apparently it is. Well, it's, it's that weird thing that he's been doing where he'll, like, like, in the other books, we hear about Wolfgar. Right, right, right. Like, where it's like... And Regis. And Regis. It's like, I don't fucking know who these people are. Like, why are you talking about them, man? Like, don't presume I know that shit. See, it sounds like weird future talk. Uh, You know, one of the curses of a prequel, I guess. Sure. So, yeah, this was the first time in this book his name was mentioned, but I don't consider this an introduction. No. That, uh, that comes later. That's fair. I think it was more, I read that and I'm like, I remembered the name from before and went, oh, we're going to meet this guy. I haven't met him yet, right? Yeah, that's so, yeah, you were yeah. asking more, have I met this person already? The answer is no. Yeah. Um, That's all I got for that. Oh, cool. Well, we can move on. Chapter one, The Stooge. Summary. This chapter describes the Sword Coast and the Spine of the World, and then gets into a story about an apprentice assassinating his master wizard. I wonder if this is delib- deliberately mirrors the wizard assassinated by his apprentice introduced in Homeland, book one in The Legend of Drizzt. Both apprentices murder their masters to gain power and position. In the prequel series, it only brought ruin to Massage Hanet and the Faceless Master. Could it bring ruin in this book as well? <laughs> I'm going to guess yes. but I'm also going to guess yes. Okay. Shot in the Underdark. Do you have any notes in this chapter? Um, again, I was very intrigued. I really liked this setup. I I liked the characters. I liked how it played out. Uh, maybe it was the lack of Dritz. I don't <laughs> know. But I was I was I was I found myself into it and taken aback by that. That's great. I have a note on page one. Okay. Which is that three ten days is thirty days, not twenty one days. I mean, I guess we know that now. I just thought it was important to... Where does it say that? On page... Oh, it doesn't... On page one. Page one or page ten? Because of page one of chapter one is page ten. Page one of chapter one is page ten, yes. So in page ten... Let's see here. They they say, you know, the hard journey from Luskan to the remote frontier settlement known as Ten Towns had taken them more than three ten days. Okay. Thirty days. Well, it doesn't say that, though. It said more than three... That's what three... 10 days is, is which is a days. phrase they use in place of week. You haven't proven this to me conclusively yet. I was, I was it's, all set to give it to you. I was all, I wanted you to be right. It, it, I am right. It's, it's a week doesn't mean seven days. It means a, the unit from which you start a, 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 a indeterminate time period between like pay periods. I mean, so. they call crystal shards, fill factories. They have different words for things. Pill factories? Fill factories. They stamp out Fil- fills. No, that's not the right word. No? No, it's phylactery. Sure. Right. That's what I'm saying. Um, they have different words for things. How many four how many four days would you need in uh twelve days? I'd need those terms defined first before I would use them. Okay. A four day yeah. is four days. <laughs> okay. And then to make a 12 day? 
No, t- how how many four days right. are in 12 days? I would say there are three four days, as you have defined them, in 12 days. Right. Okay. And by that, like, okay, so oh, how oh. many, how many, uh, how many three days are in 12 days? How many days are in a three day? It's three days. <laughs> then I would say there are four three days in a 12 day by think, that definition. Right. You, you've got it, man. I think you're getting you like, there's no stumping you on this one. Okay. So if you were going to have a 10 day, mm-hmm. how many of those would you have in 30 days? Well, okay. Now are you defining 10 day or is Robert Salvatore? Uh, defining it i think we have the same definition what you think that though but you don't know that i'm i'm okay i'll I'll say i know it (laughs) well i'll go i'll go to that level of commitment i'm gonna say i wouldn't want to conjecture okay (laughs) well let's assume a 10 day being that we already did the other exercise a 10 day (laughs) is 10 days i'm not gonna right? assume that i'm gonna assume it's a measurement of time about a week maybe more it is it is a measurement of time 10 days exactly <laughs> you're 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 so close man i think you're like i think you really understand it you just like it's like you don't have the confidence to to believe you understand it. uh-huh it's like what they always told me about math in school like oh no you get it you just don't believe in yourself enough hmm uh, that's my only note for this okay. chapter. Well, I have no more notes. <laughs> okay. So let's move on. Uh, chapter two on the banks of Mayor Doulton. Uh, summary. This chapter's purpose is to introduce us to Regis, Dritzt and Brunor, Ten Towns, Icewind Dale, and any other general knowledge about the area we didn't already know. It's an exceptional introductory chapter. Hmm. Oh, excuse me. I think I misspoke. Okay. It's ex- it's an exceptionally introductory chapter. <laughs> also, uh, Regis fishes. He is a lazy thief who's unconcerned with anything that doesn't directly involve him. I like Dritz him already. Is, is nearly exactly as we left him, except that he and Brunor are now friends. Fast friends. Uh, I have some notes in this chapter. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take my note first because I only have one and it's from the beginning. Okay. Regis. Oh, he's a hobbit. Yeah, he's a hobbit. Uh, I really enjoy the Regis section. And I th- I think it was nice to read this because people have, whenever I've asked about D&D and I've asked, are there hobbits? People go, oh, there, there, there's halflings. We call them halflings. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure how close the parallel went. But when they talked about his bare, hairy feet, I'm like, got it. Right. Full it, it, on and his curly hair, hobbit. And his complete behavior, the the whole fishing, but, like, not even really caring about the fishing. Well, I mean, Hobbit's, like, good tilled earth and, and hard work. This guy is a lazy Hobbit. But he does like to have his belly full, so he is, he is he's definitely a Hobbit. I get it. I don't know if I'd say that Merry and Pippin love hard work. Okay, not all Hobbits, but when you're <laughs> speaking... <laughs> what? You're, you're going to go around telling me that one race is one way... <laughs> When Bilbo spoke of them, he said hobbits liked good tilled earth and hard work. Yeah, but does that mean that they like tilling the earth and what do they consider work? Oh, they'll till it all day long. <laughs> like, I like a good steak. I don't want to slaughter a cow. I just want someone to present to me with the steak that's already been slaughtered. Someone else can deal with that drama. You know what? Since you lost the 10 day, I'm going to give this to you. I think I won both. <laughs> yeah. 
One and one. Um, That's our score. <laughs> and I would spell those words O-N-E and W-O-N. I agree with you. One and one. Um, what are your notes? I, 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 well, I wanted to comment on your note first. Oh, the, okay. um, more. I, I haven't read The Hobbit. I haven't read any of the Lord of the Rings books. I have... I enjoy the films a lot. Mm-hmm. I do think that for me, I'm having... It's the first time I've really read a, a Hobbit or read a Halfling. So it's odd to me. Because there's a part of me that's like, oh, I don't like this. But... Okay. But I think what I don't like about it is I, I, I find it a little... I don't know how to... I don't know what my problem is, honestly. It, it's like I think that it's like... It feels so derivative, I think, is the main problem. It feels so much like Salvatore is so tuned into how much he loves The Hobbit and mm-hmm. how much he loves Lord of the Rings that he really can write Hobbits. Like, he can write them so close to how Tolkien wrote about them. In that fun, sort of jovial way mm-hmm. that I assume, I'm because again, I'm assuming this is how he wrote about them. This is how I, this is my impression of hobbits, sort of like you know, this sort of playful rambunctiousness, but also like a little bit of laziness. I don't know. That's how I've in- interpreted them. Do you think um, you would have had less of a problem with it if you had read The Hobbit first? <clears throat> no, I, I think I probably would have more. And it's not really a problem. It's just more like I've had. It was a. It was an incline to get adjusted to it because the previous three books were so different. Gotcha. So, like, when I'm reading, like, I, I, there's a certain point where I really enjoyed it because I like taking that character that you've established as liking to do these things and being this way and not really even wanting to have taken up the the charge of spokesman, except that no one else in the village he's from would do it. So he felt like he had to kind of stuff and how timid he is and how, like, all that stuff... Uh, and then to take him and be like, now he has to essentially lead an army. That's that's fun. Like that's that's playful fantasy fiction to to do that bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Like you know, put Mary on the battlefield when the Nazgul is murdered or or whatever or uh, slain. Yeah, like stuff like that where it's like you don't expect it. So so I I, I warmed up to it and I'm I'm warming up to it more as we as we're going along. But it is very different. I guess that's really all my own. It's like I, I'm just trying to describe the the like I said the the easing into appreciating Regis because I I you know I kind of like that they're all kind of like with with Dritzt and Regis are the only one of their kind in the area. That's mm-hmm. kind of fun. The novelty there is fun. And you don't have any more notes? I know. Okay, so my note here is uh, on page twenty. I don't remember Dritzt having this much trouble with the sun in sojourn i wonder if salvatore had forgotten how much emphasis he he put on dritz discomfort when exposed to the sun when he wrote the previous books or the 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 prequel books i would i i would bet that's what it was i would bet even that over time uh dritz has to deal with the sun less and less and because we don't know how far in the progression of the series he wrote the prequels like, right. did he write four, five, and six and go immediately to one, or did he write him around 20? Right. Um, so, in his mind, Dritz did not tell Oh, we do sun. know that. Oh, we do? Well, uh, we do know that Homeland was published in 1991. Oh, that's true. That's not that much later, is it? 
No, it's only three split. years after. So the they are probably the the second three books he wrote. I, I would assume he wrote the first trilogy, and then went and wrote the prequel. The prequels. Okay. That's my guess, but I don't really know. I, I'm not. I mean, really well, I see into... as the book progresses, if he gets to deal with the sun less, if it's just something he doesn't write about. But I mean, that doesn't seem that big a thing. I feel like authors are often introducing aspects like that and then going, "Oh, that's not that interesting. I'm going to forget about it quietly." I was wondering if I could find the the publishing order as opposed to the reading order. Uh huh. But it seems like people only want to talk about the reading order. Right. So forget it. Yeah, that that bummed me out because it just felt like I mean, proving the first book, it makes sense for him to have this much trouble in the sun. But he spends, oh, unless I'm misremembering, what time of day he fights McGristle on the mountain or deals with Caddy Bree on the mountain. Those always seem like nighttime. they were very dark. Oh, but maybe see, I was I just thinking like of Alaska in the winter. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it certainly seems different. Like I, something's not adding up there and Mm -hmm. it's noticeable for me my last note or my second note for this chapter is uh are the scimitars drits is uses in this chapter the scimitars he got from mushi specifically the bejeweled one that looked like it was more ornamental than deadly i don't recall him ever replacing them in book he never replaced them and i was looking for any kind of description in these chapters and i did not see any so i'm definitely feels like yeah, it certainly feels like if they had been the, if they hadn't been replaced, that would have been mentioned. But there's no description of the swords at all. Right. So it's it's very confusing. Um, I'm glad that you also were looking for it. Uh, last note on the last page of the chapter. Hey, look, Dritz is wiping his blade clean. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even notice it. Let's just go back. And read that so we can all enjoy it together. That's two. This is page 25. Look at me flipping through an actual book. Come on, elf, scolded the dwarf. We're, we've five miles and more of road to go. Dritz shook his head and wiped the bloodstained blade on the felled monster's fur. Roll on, Brunor Battlehammer, he whispered under his smile. And know to your pleasure that every monster along our trail will mark well your passing and keep it heads safely hidden. I mean, that's all I was asking for. He's grown up. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, these new friends of his are a good influence on him. <laughs> all right. Where are we now? Chapter three, the Mead Hall. Summary. It's the gathering of the Juggalos. Many <laughs> nomadic barbarian tribes gather to plan and execute an invasion of ten towns. The kings of the two strongest tribes, the Wolf and the Elk. Engage in a ceremony of bravado designed to please Tempos, the god of battle, and the budding masculinity of the book's target audience. That is to say, it's it's designed to please both the god of battle and the budding masculinity of the book's target audience. Right. Do you have any notes? Only that I feel like I'm getting a broader world view of, well, the world, and mm-hmm. in this whole, in this entire book, it doesn't. It, there's Sometimes when you watch a movie, it feels cloistered and like a set. You know what I'm talking about? You see that and you're just like, eh, I feel like if I walk behind that building, I would see the emergency exit. And sometimes right. it feels like a real world. And this feels a lot more like a real world than the last three books have felt. Yeah. 
and I'm 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 also I, noticing that and liking it. I want I also wonder if like the first three books being as so specific as they were for readers who read these in publishing order would have been themselves kind of fun to like get away from the world you know to this other world and le- and like experience it because you've always you you've in the last couple of books wanted to learn about Dritt's past and there it is. I feel that he's even his writing is different though. He spends time yeah. on the folklore of things like Tolkien would have, or even Stephen King, where I'd be like, "This hill was something, something." Here's a you know brief history of that, or here's this outlying area brief. which is this, and it makes things richer. Yeah, um, it, it. I agree. So far, at least, even up to this point, it feels like not like oh my god, such a different writer, no. but 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 definitely like. I feel like I'm moving forward as opposed to catching up. Yeah. So so I'm very I am actually very curious if book 9 will be in this style or in the prequel style. If he was just hammering out the prequel or did he lose his passion? Right. Okay, so I have a note in this chapter. Okay. Page 20, The Song of Tempos. In this section, the nomad kings and their respective tribes sing a song of valor culminating in an expression of their tribe's name in reverence to the god of valor or the god of battle the song is the same except for the part where you insert the name of your tribe into the verse and and according to this writing it's believed that tempos will decide which tribe wins the upcoming battle based on the value of their singing or whichever singing was loudest therefore could reach him wherever he exists and so I realized as I was reading it that it's the D&D version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. <laughs> that's very and, funny. And, and that made me happy in a couple of ways because it's like that's one of the fun things about D&D I, that I've always enjoyed is the thing where you're playing a game or you're reading about something and you realize, oh, this is – it's not like the race thing where you're like, oh, these are definitely Ferengi or no, like whatever. This is parallel to my experience. Or like you're like, oh, wait a minute! Suddenly we have a you know, we have like an automaton in our group and a like an automaton barbarian and a like a a bardic. I forget what those things are called. Um, hold on. Uh, like a bardic tabaxi and a some sort of like roguish uh, nymph of some kind, and then like a an average like like base level like human or mm-hmm. something and then you realize oh we're all doing wizard of oz like suddenly this is these characters we're interacting with are the characters from wizard of oz they've just been transported or transposed into this setting that we're dealing with and look at that isn't that fun like yeah. and you don't realize it and the fun is like that click of like oh that's what we're doing here we're, we're having some fun with that um like every neil gaiman book ever written <laughs> they're all wizard of oz yeah kind of <laughs> lame um the uh, uh the the D that i really liked uh watching the, the uh acquisitions incorporated videos on uh youtube um was chris perkins as their dm when he was their dm those were really fun because he would do stuff like that like not specifically that movie but he would do things where like suddenly you'd be like oh we're doing this now. Like, Oh, this is Jabba's sailing barge right. or something. Sure. Like, and you're like, okay, cool, fun. Uh, you, it's that, it's that feeling. What it does for me is it, it gives me a feeling of like, Oh, now I'm suddenly in on the joke. 
it it, pull, it like hooks me in from like this is just entertainment to like oh i'm part of an in-group again like yay in-group so i like that stuff and that's what this felt like this felt like oh i i know exactly what he's talking about it's take me out to the ball game <laughs> nice that's a pretty cool observation thanks um that brings us to chapter four the crystal shard summary Akar Kessel finds himself face down in the frozen tundra, having been betrayed by the murderous wizards who promised him station in exchange for assassinating a member of their party. Before freezing to death, the aimless Akar wanders until he feels a magic warmth pulling at him. He finds buried in the snow the titular crystal shard. Possessing the shard keeps him warm through the night and grants him magical powers beyond his skill level. With those powers, he can kill with a command, transform the crystal shard into an enormous tower, which we've learned it's not exactly what that is, um, and enslave a nomadic goblin tribe. While uh, Akar believes these are all his desires made real, he is unaware of the shard's guiding influence. That's all I have. Yeah, I don't have any notes. No, it's That's a pretty... just what happened pretty good pretty pretty some some it's a it's a summary of what happened a summary of a summation yes uh this All is right, where well i then... start my uh caddy brie watch uh-oh just because i'm like chapter four hmm still no caddy brie i'm sure she'll be coming up soon oh right okay well good to know so that brings us to oh no no i've got another note Oh shit! Read your note. Oh, I'm gonna read my note. I just wanted. To, I, I was gonna. I was just gonna drop that in there and ask you if you had any notes she, on this chapter. She, she's not in the rest of this section of the book. Don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any notes? Not in this chapter. Okay. Well, I've got a little bit of uh, pedantry that I would like to Yay. get off my chest. Do it. <clears throat> I don't like that he used ten day. No. <laughs> That's not it. I don't like that he called telekinesis a spell. Oh, interesting. That's from your king background. Is it? You I think? think so. I think telekinesis is it's it's like a process. You can you have a spell that affects that, but for me, telekinesis is just literally moving something with your mind, not speaking a spell and having it come to you. It it's it's very pedantic, I understand, but it's the difference between using your mind as a fulcrum and using your mind as a lever. Telekinesis itself is not a spell. I feel like the description of telekinesis was correct. I just don't think it should be called a spell. Well, I think that just in this world, it's it's. I th I, I don't. I think that there's okay. Uh, it might be important in this world to refer to it as a spell because I don't know how innate magic. Like, I think innate magic in this world in Dungeons and Dragons, you still call spells. If you can just will things, like like Dritzt has the I can create the circle of darkness and I can and affect fairy. Fire. But he has to speak something, right? Doesn't he? there was a there was an I don't think he I ever has to say. They it. talked about an incantation he learned. Maybe I I don't I don't remember if it happened in the first time they talked about it. That's possible, but I feel like every time they use it, they don't say. And Dritzt uttered his power word. I think it's just like like uh, later in these chapters that he uses both those spells directly in in succession. And there's no mention in the description of it of him saying any words. It's just 
he envelops the person in the sphere of darkness and then it like fires fairy fire all over if them. that's a convention of dungeons and dragons and i will have to give it to you oh uh, well i mean th- that's not to say that some spells do require like components is what they're called sure. which which can be uh spoken or physical okay um I just think if you're going to have a, a name for it, use something like substitutionary locomotion. <laughs> Fair. Um, I think that, because I was trying to think of like, I know that the, one of the main differences between like sorcerers and like warlocks and wizards is that warlocks and sorcerers kind of just get their power mm-hmm. and wizards have to study to learn it. Mm-hmm. But I still think that because of the way the function of the mechanics of the spells have to work in the game, you still have to... They, they function the same way. You just don't have to, like, work really hard to learn what... Or you don't have to, like, prepare them. Like, that's the thing in the game. Like, wizards have to prepare spells. Clerics, even, have to prepare spells. I don't know if... I don't remember. I'm really... I have I've not played enough in a long time. But I have a feeling that sorcerers may not have to prepare them in the same way. So for example, a wizard can have a book of limitless spells, right. but they can only be able, like prepare a certain a number of them based on their skill level per 24 hours mm. or one day, 10 of which would make a 10 day. So Possibly. they 240 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I wonder if that's part of why it, like again in this in this world it's the spell of telekinesis. Spellekinesis. Like, spellekinesis. That, that how that might be part of, of of the way it has to work in 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 the shared universe of this book and the game. Okay. Well, you know what that um, will actually. Because like you could say like okay like I, I think functionally they're the same thing right like, in the terms of, controlling something with your mind is that how you defined it I want to get back to, I want to make sure I got it uh, right. moving something with your mind. Right. So you're if to to initiate like that active ability in your in your in your ability you have to turn it on right is is the component of the spell portion the rest of it's the same you're still you're still moving it with your mind and and doing whatever you need to do it's just that the activation isn't innate or right uh part of your who you are as a being you have to trigger it right because yes i mean you could argue i walked over and picked it up i used my mind to do that Right, right. So. You just you aren't doing it without physically touching right. it. You have to. You have what you would call tactile telekinesis. Yeah, that's what that is. That's something that's super. Boring. I know what it is. I'm <laughs> well aware of what power set the clone Superboy has. Thank you. <laughs> is that why you're so bothered by my bringing it up? I really like tactile telekinesis, and yours seemed like a. Uh, Look, look what I'm doing. You're, you're, look what I'm doing. I'm Superboy. See, that's, <laughs> you're being glib. I'm doing the same thing. Want me to go get my leather jacket? I can, I can like, I, oh my God, that's my next Halloween costume. I'm going to be clone Superboy and I'm just going to start picking objects up and <laughs> moving around and going like, what it whoa, is. Whoa, whoa, textile telekinesis. You're a jerk. It's a very a, clever superpower. And I'm, I I'm like a meta human. Look at me go. I'm so I'm I'm Rob, I'm being a meta human. Well that brings us to Let me make sure I'm done with my notes really okay. quick. My phone right. went to sleep. Uh, yeah, I'm done. That brings us to Chapter five, someday. 
which is exactly when we'll see Caddy Bree again. Summary. Brunor and Dritzt have a meeting where they discuss what to do about the upcoming battle. Warn the townspeople? Attempt to convince them to stand together against the Barbarian Horde? Or let them be overrun and take their chances with a Barbarian-controlled ten towns? I don't have any notes. Okay. Uh, well, first one. When they talked about Mithril Hall and how mm. they delved too deep. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, Balsrog. ha <laughs> Um, that was, I mean, I'm just like, I get that you like Tolkien, but man, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we definitely didn't meet Regis before, right? Makes me wonder if he'll die soon. Here's what I don't remember. Okay. I don't, in the last book, there's a person that Dritzt meets when he first comes to 10 towns. It's the mm-hmm. person who gives him the job of going up and guarding the pass. Yeah. I don't remember who that was. I know it wasn't Regis. It definitely wasn't Regis, but... Um, I don't remember either. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think it might be, like, was it Cassius? Is that a person we find? That is, later? I think, a person... Is he the guy who runs Bryn Harbor or whatever it's called? Bryn Shander? Yeah. He's definitely one of those guys. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, Cassius, yeah. Well, I've got a page on I think on him. He is he is the one who who's who runs Bryn Shander, yes. Then I, I think that must be who Dritz met earlier. Uh last one in, five chapters in, and this is a richer, less tedious reading experience. Feels like a world and not a confined site. Oh, we talked about that. But this is where that note happens. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 interesting. Uh that's it for me. Okay, that brings us to Chapter six, Bryn Shander. Summary. Still no Caddy Bree. Still no Caddy Bree. <laughs> Regis attends a council meeting of the spokesmen of Ten Towns. The timid Lightfoot relies on Dritz's coaching and the magic of his gem to influence the other councilmen in agreeing to prepare their lands for battle with the Barbarian Horde. Do you have any notes? Yeah, a couple notes. Um, we'll get to it in a minute. I didn't like the ring stuff as much, but I really liked uh, the little mini-story of Cassius swindling the council out of their palace. Yeah. I'm like, that was, that, that was actually a really good little bit of writing. And I was taken aback. It there's that that's one of those little things that feels very D and D to me again. Like that feeling of like that's funny, it's clever, and it adds world building. And it like mm-hmm. you can imagine I could imagine, I guess I should say, I can imagine somebody playing that adventure. Mm-hmm. Like playing the adventure of being him trying to get that palace from these guys and like rolling high charisma or bluff or like intimidate like all those different things like using all of his high charisma score to get through like like to get this this thing that he wants and and succeeding in it i found that very like it's one of those things that like it translated very well to a explanation in game Mm -hmm. that's fun so Regis's ring that lets him control people's minds. Not a ring, but his gem. A stone. You're right. It is a stone. You're right. I, 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 I totally, I totally wrote neck. ring down here just because of the Hobbit. Hobbit. Yeah. Right. Uh, the stone. Didn't he have? Doesn't he have it set in a ring by now? No, it's a, it's a necklace. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. But either way, do you think that? he's inadvertently using its power on himself to convince that it was convince himself it was given to him. <laughs> ah, that's clever. 
or is it just the you know the the guilty thief's lot to try to believe the best of themselves even though they know their shit i i think you're probably right i think that there's probably uh, there might be a reason why it feels like that the way salvatore is writing the halfling's gem and the crystal shard's influence on their possessors is similar mm-hmm. i think it's entirely possible that it's very important that they're similar maybe it's not maybe it is but yeah i think that that's that's astute that's an astute observation my thought was it would be great if it was like uh veritaserum how so is that the right one the, the one no the the, what's, the, what's the luck one oh oh oh, oh felix felicius Felix Felicius, yes. I was wondering if it was like that, where it's really just a... Uh, Inclination to say the right thing? Y- well... Okay, what's the word for that thing that's not real, but you think it's real? Your alarm's going off. It starts with a P, goddammit. Placebo. Placebo. <laughs> Only two clues, um, and I got it. Uh... Yeah, so I, I I think that it could be like a placebo thing where Dritz is just like Dritz believing in Regis is enough for Regis to believe in him, but the only reason himself, but the only reason Regis would believe that Dritz really believes in in Regis is because Regis believes that Dritz believes that the gem is magic. So <laughs> maybe. So like. I mean, we've seen it be used enough times for me to think it's actually magic and it's a world of magic. But that doesn't discount the possibility that a lot of this is predicated on uh, belief and hope. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I like your your idea. Like, that's definitely something that happens in these, uh, in Dungeons and Dragons where you can get, like, cursed armor that's, like, really powerful, but every time you use it, it hurts you kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually to the point where, like, you're suddenly, like, the longer you use it, you actually go, like, you decrease in, in, in power, but, like, you can't take it off because if you take it off, you'll die. So you're no longer as strong as you used to be, but now if you if you, if you you remove this thing that doesn't help you anymore, you die. This ri- gem, this gem mm-hmm. came from a set of 12 other gems. Mm-hmm. A set of 12, so there's 11 others. Um, do you think they're all powerful, like an Infinity Gauntlet situation? Or is this just the one that happened to be the magical one? I think Dritz suggests that it's possible that it was just one. Um, and that was the one I he happened to take or yeah, called to him. Right. I think it was, I think it's, again, I think this is very much the ring, the one ring. It's sure. supposed to be the way that the one ring calls to Smeagol, that the one ring calls to Bilbo. Finds a new owner. Right. I think it's supposed to be like that. So I. Because Salvatore really, really likes his influence. He's, he sure. likes, he loves the Tolkien's work. Well, in a way, I mean, this is the ring. This is the ring from The Hobbit versus the Crystal Shard, which is the ring from Lord of the Rings. Yes. They get to fight each other finally. Yay. All right. Any more notes? And that brings us to Chapter 7 The Coming Storm. The worst title for a porno I've ever heard. Summary. This chapter depicts Dritz scouting out the barbarian camp and learning their battle plans. Then, Dritz prepares an ambush with Belwar before giving a three-page summary of the previous three books. Nearly a thousand pages summarized in three. Thanks, Bobby. (laughs) 
Uh, I have notes in this chapter. Okay, what's your note? Let's let you take a note for uh, once. Page 69. Here, Salvatore attributes Massage Hanette's ownership of Guinevere to an exchange between the wizard and a demon over some vague business with gnomes. If memory serves, Massage Hanette took possession of the figurine from his dead master after murdering him. Mm-hmm. Nothing about a demon and Massage Hanette uh, in, in relation to how that figurine came into his possession. No, there was the demon. The, the 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 gnomes called up the earth elemental and Dritz fought it and 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 the elemental was stuck in the ground and then massage tried to push him in after it and that's when he realized massage was out to kill him where's he, the demon the demon got stuck in the ground and couldn't no that's an earth elemental earth elementals are not demons oh okay okay but i mean that was that fight right not the one that he's talking about here i'm saying is he using the word demon and he should have said elemental and that was no, the mistake. That is no, no, because because what he's attributing is when how Massagenet came in came to possess Guinevere. Uh, 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 how he came uh, to possess okay. Guinevere yeah, yeah, yeah. was murdering the faceless master, right? Taking it from his dresser, I think, and then being like, "This is all I want from him." You 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 know, uh, what's his fucking name? Um, Akar. No, no, that's the guy in this book. What's the other guy? Uh, Anton, mm-hmm. Anton Devere. He's like, you can take everything else. I just want this figurine. Right now, maybe the original faceless master, who I believe was also a Hunnet, yeah, w- got got Guinevere from a demon, and that's what he's referencing. But I feel like, and eventually in another book, we're gonna see that information more. If we if we read it, I believe it exists in another book the explanation of how Guinevere came to be and specifically relating to some sort of demon and gnomes and shit. But that's not, that's not what happened in, in uh, homeland. Right. So that's my beef is that it is, it felt whitewashed to me. It's just wrong. It's just inaccurate. Um, or, or just poorly, just poorly like summarized. And he didn't do a good job of writing the way he wrote, writing the first books stuff in relation to these comments. Unless, Um, Mm-hmm. It's another reference to the Hobbit. When Tolkien first wrote the Hobbit, it was a lot more innocent how Bilbo got the ring. And mm-hmm. then after he started work on uh, Lord of the Rings, he went back and actually retconned the Hobbit to make Bilbo Whoa. a little uh, tricksier and actually lied to Gandalf about the ring when he got out. <gasps> Damn it, Bilbo. Right? Maybe. Um, my other note is on page 71, very similar note. Okay. Uh, another continuity error. I don't think it's fair to say that while Dritz and Massage were fighting atop a stalagmite, that Massage was unsuspecting in quotes. Maybe surprised that he couldn't defeat Dritz, but he knew they were in a, in a combat. <laughs> he knew that, and he he knew that Guinevere was actively killing Anton Devere at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, just it's it's. It's a certain point of view is how it feels. It feels like, I didn't lie to you. I'm not wrong. Eh, just from a certain point of view, I'm right. <laughs> and I'm using that point of view. You should use it, too. Even if it bothers you. Don't question me. Uh, that's all the notes I have in that chapter. Yeah, I don't have any other notes. All right, that brings us to... Chapter 8, Bloody Fields. Summary. The battle between the unified armies of Ten Towns versus the unified barbarian tribes. Guess what? Ten Towns wins. 
Dritz earns respect from some of the inhabitants of the city he helped defend, but many people of Ten Town still dislike him. I suspect the driven barbarian army will be welcomed by the master of the Crystal Shard. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. I don't have any notes. Okay, well, I got a note here. It says, Jesus, Regis, grow half a pair. Well, he killed that guy. It was, uh... When he was right before he killed him, and he was trying to give up and be like, "Okay, I'll pay you." Oh yeah. Um, I was I was writing in the moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Desperate, Regis pulled the ruby pendant from under his waistcoat. Please don't kill me, he pleaded, holding the sparkling stone out by its chain and letting it dance seductively. If you let me live, I'll give you this and show you where you can find many more. So that's when I was like. Pfft. Well, you could you could read it that way, or you could read it as, "Wow, what a convincing ruse." Nah, I'm not gonna read it that way. From I, a certain I, point of view, I, why are the stakes so big? I wondered, in this chapter, when we haven't even been introduced to Caddy Bree. It's like the, if the Battle <laughs> of the Five Armies happened before we got to Bjorn's house. Uh, I guess maybe Caddy Bree isn't that important yet. I would no, but it was also no. That's 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 an observation about where we are in the book. Why are the stakes so big at this point? This this felt closer to an end of book. Oh oh, the stakes are this big so that you can have okay. Uh, I mean, I've got I've got a lot more on this later in my overview, but sure. I I think that it's my answer is this gets the audience to the point where they're invested in the world because mm-hmm. it's the first book. Now that they're invested in the world and you've had a little bit of success, this is the end. This is this first part is the end of the first Star Wars, and yeah. the next part will be the Empire Strikes Back, yeah. where the Crystal Shard will will absorb these armies and will pull in. Or it'll do one of two things: it'll either pull in the barbarian armies mm-hmm. and and use them, or it'll gather such a large, knoll goblin, troll giant, excuse me, or bugbear army that it will then try to seize 10 towns and the people of 10 towns will need to join forces with the remaining barbarians to protect their place from from the the wizard in the crystal tower and then after that the barbarians will have a place to finally call their own in 10 towns maybe even they'll be able to take uh the remaining number of which there seem to be few will be able to take residence in that disputed village between those other two towns and it'll become 11 towns because they call it 10 towns there are 10 towns in 10 towns just so you know final note in this chapter Mm -hmm. uh the whole kicking dritzed while he was down bit um i i felt I feel like I would have forgiven a lot if uh, the person who saved him had been Caddy Bree as her introduction. Mm. That seemed like a right place for it, and it was again missed. Like, why is he afraid of this character? That's important to the book. I know you said maybe she's not important, but she was referenced in the last book. She should already be in here. Well, she's sixteen, right? Like at this point, mm, so, so it's she's only six like, years later. It's five years later. 16 that's old enough to be a warrior well i think that like she's i i think she's gonna be in this book i i, I mean maybe i, I hope so 
Well, I, I have a feeling a couple of things. I have a couple of feelings about where, where this book's going. I think that there's going to be a big jump in time. Oh, okay. Soon. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that either we're going to jump five years ahead after Wolfgar has served his time in the mines for Brunor and then Wolfgar and Brunor and Regis and Cadibri and Dritz will all be a team. And by then she'll be 23 or 22 mm-hmm. or 20, mm-hmm. somewhere between there. So she'll be absolutely an adult so that Dritz can make sexual advances towards her. You don't think she's going to hook up with Wolfgar? That's where I thought it was going to go. I don't. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I am I am concerned it's going to be like Halloween 3. So I'm Team Wolfcat. Yeah. And you're Team Dritzy Bree. No, I'm Team Season of the Witch. I, I missed how we got to Season of the Witch. Because in Season of the Witch, uh, the main character is this like... Oh, right, right, right. right. 40-year-old yes, guy yes, who yes. shows up and like just finds a teenage girl who's like 16 or 17 and has like random vigorous sex with her in a motel room and then like kind of abandons her um and it's not treated as like a fucking creepy horrible thing that he's done it's just like yeah that's what (laughs) that's what men do um and keeping in mind how much older than her dritz is Uh that's the comparison well i still think i'm still holding out hope for that never mind i didn't want to say it because i do not hold out hope for it Okay. I, I keep thinking that Dritz, uh, that, that elf maiden he saved will be his love interest down the road. Either way, it's gross. Oh, either way, it's gross. Age ain't nothing but a number, except that it's a number for a reason. <laughs> uh, that's it? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, like, so So I have a suspicion that something like that's going to happen. Maybe it'll take Akar Kessel five years to, to amass his skill with the Crystal Shard to build his his goblin army and then by then he'll be ready to storm in and take the the castle i don't know i have this feeling i mean i'm glad we stopped at this point it's a good place because because like i think that whatever happens next is going to be either very different or take place immediately after what we've done Mm -hmm. you know i'm interested in that um i think that the reason you're not getting introduced to caddy yet is because they have to introduce wolfgar i think wolfgar is for this book much more important than caddy brie and my guess is that that's where we're going to be going. And considering that they have very similar like descriptions, you know, young. You're gonna ruin my note for the next book, or oh, for sorry. my, my note for the next chapter. No, it's fine. I'm dude. so sorry. It's, no. I guess we should just move on to the next section. Epilogue. Okay. In the battle's aftermath, Brunor saves the life of a young, intelligent-looking barbarian teen named Wolfgar, and that was the last we'd ever see of him. Akar Kessel learns of the battle at Ten Towns before the Crystal Shard suggests to him that it might be nice to rule over Ten Towns. It's suggested that Kessel plans to Joffrey a captive woman, which is lame. My note? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Is is the blonde on the cover the barbarian? I thought it was <laughs> Caddy Bree. Oh, Looking no. closer, I see the nascent beard. Fuck. I don't. I see no beard, but oh, that's fine. The, what I, what I, which I, Nathan, I, the stubble. There's clearly stubble there. Okay, I think there's just chin shadow, but that's yeah, fine. Yeah, five o'clock shadow. No, I mean like definition of your no. Jawline. I'm, I'm talking about above that. I'm not talking. About, I'm talking about how it gets like it's it's whiter, like blonde stubble looks. All right. The beard, everything. The face gets lighter towards the chin, lighter and gray. Hey 
You go ahead and you tell me all about Blonde Stubble. I'll, I'll believe you. Hey, man. Apparently, one of us knows a little bit more about beards than the other one. See, my problem is that, like, there's this, there's, like, this dwarf-looking guy behind them mm-hmm. that has brown hair. That's n- definitely not Brunor. So, WTH, who is that? Is it Brunor? Is it supposed to be a Brunor that's been tr- painted wrong? <laughs> that's my kind of my guess. This whole time, the whole section, I'm like, oh, Caddy Bree is front on the cover. Nope. She's a redhead. I didn't remember that. And Had she been introduced in this book and described, uh, I might have known that. You only have the introduction and description from the last book. Five years ago. Lots can happen to hair in five years. She was described as having red hair. She could have gone to the salon. The dwarven salon? Yeah. They they what do they do? Dye your hair in wine? Absolutely. Or or bleach it with some sort of amino acid. Well, anyway, I think that I think that again, like Wolfgar is going to be the Cadbury of the next while. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I mean, she might just show up at a certain point and be more important. But my suspicion is like just my gut feeling where we are now is if she if she comes in soon it won't be as a member of the party it'll right. be like she's still Bruno's still daughter, a character yeah who's still at home doing stuff because she's a human and therefore ages quickly right comparatively well that's all my notes do you have any other notes no notes i have an overview um, for doing that yet. overview I, I mean i don't have one because it's not the end of the book sure you know it says epilogue which is dumb well. to have in the third of a book so i wrote this i wrote this in a fit during the middle of the eighth chapter and then i rewrote it with a little more of a level head let's see if i still agree with it all right there is an unevenness to this book judging from this section and past experiences i would guess that this is going to feel like another book of novellas connected by the crystal shard but the stakes of the horde attack felt artificially inflated or like salvatore worked backwards uh as him, I want to introduce Wolfgar. He was part of a barbarian horde, but hordes are big, so how do we defeat them? The towns come together, but they wouldn't do that easily, so we use the magic stone. Uh, even this truncated version of what could have been an epic unto itself should have been had should have had more room to breathe. There was lots of good bits in there, but running through them so quickly by making the ring I said ring again, the stone function as a Deus ex machina, uh, I feel like it stripped a lot of meaning of it for me. Yeah, again, I, I don't know if this is like I think that's something he did in the other books too. He did this, uh, especially in the last one. Um, this like you'll have a big fight in like the in like the middle or the second third, mm-hmm. like two thirds of the way, and there'll be a huge big fight. But then the story won't end, and there'll be another thing. Yeah, or like two more things. Like in the last book, we have this big fight of Mushi's Grove, and you're like, holy shit, that's a big fight. And then it's like now he's got to go trick a dragon. And you're like, oh, is that the end of the book? He's like, no, now he's got to go fight McGristle. Mc, uh, and that's the end of the book. We had, like, the rock giant fight, too, though, right? Before they even got to Mushi. Yes. But, like, that's, that's I think, again, to me, what I, I guess, uh, what I'm trying to get at is I think that's so much more like playing Dungeons & Dragons that it doesn't bother me. Uh, like, okay. when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, you're going to have these intermittent combats that are going to, they they need to be fun and visually exciting and scary and flavorful and these all are that like this one's pretty big this is a pretty big fight and he is 
truncating is the word you use, and I think it's a good one, a lot of the connective tissue. But at the same time, sometimes that stuff in the other books was the worst part. No, you're right. I guess I just wanted better connective tissue put in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, so far, I mean, I'm, it was, this was a hard, hard one for me to read because I, I was like distracted while I was reading it. So I had to keep going back and reading it out again, but like, and, and also like that same problem I'm probably going to have every time I read one of these books, which is the first time you get introduced to those stupid fucking names and you have to read a new person's dumbass name or a new <laughs> place's name. And it just feels like. They just, it's just like, I, I'm having a hard time keeping the, the, like, okay, I get that he's building a world, but you have 10 towns that each have an individual spokesperson. Seven towns. Name 10 towns. I'm, I was, it's yeah. not, it's not, no, no, it's 10. So you know what I'm saying? They call it 10 towns because there's 10 towns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's right there in the name. Anyways, you were saying before you were so rudely interrupted. It's, I mean, it's it's called the crystal shard, not the crystal ball. Like, they're different shapes. <laughs> anyway, um, so you, each one of those people has a name, and they're referred to by name. And it's like, who the fuck am I reading? Like, who is this person? Why? Like, it's almost like there's too much world building sometimes mm-hmm. in these things where it's like, I don't want. I, I like the. I like the political drama of having to balance all these people and all these things. I like that. It's fun. It, it gives this. It gives a lot of depth and complexity to this world. But then he does the same thing in the inverse with all the barbarian hordes, and it's like, there's a moment where, I think this is the half thane guy or somebody like that, gets killed in battle. Like the the guy who leads the bear clan mm-hmm. gets shot in the chest with an arrow after being like, I'm the fucking best clan bear rules he gets hit in the chest there and then just dies and it's like i was trying to remember wait was this this the guy who was the leader of the elk clan because because they had very similar names yeah i I had to go back and forth a couple times too and so like it's hard to get like for me it's hard to get super into it because i get like just caught up in trying to feeling like there's significance to all these names and trying to keep up with them when i don't think there actually is and I don't know if it matters to keep up with it sometimes because it's just it's too it's a little too much. Right. But I I mean, like I said about the, the Death Star, it's I feel like it's very much like it's just the it's Star Wars. We just read the, the Star Wars of this book, which may be three parts that each are. Like you said, kind of like their own mini novella, like stories, which may explain the, the necessity of the epilogue a third of the way through the book. Not to say that that discounts anything you've said, because that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, no, I understand. But you did find yourself more interested. I was more interested. It is overall more rewarding. We'll see what happens. Well, I guess that brings us to a new word alert. Oh, you do not say. I do, in fact, say. I have two new words, unless you've done one of them in the past. I have? Unless oh. you have. We'll oh, find bring out. Care. Care. I can't understand what that is. Care. Care? Care. K-A-R-E? C-A-E. 
E R. Like Care Paravel? Like Care Paravel. Like like a like a like a kingdom or a, a castle of some kind? Closer to a fortress or a keep, but yes. But up but up up Care Paravel. I saw those in in this book actually and I realized while I knew Care Paravel, I didn't specifically know what that was, so I wanted to to look it up. Yay, I did one. We don't have to we do sure any more. We have one more. <laughs> Ready? Mm-hmm. Calumny. Calumny. Calumny? Calum. I, I've heard, I actually have seen it, or I've heard it said that way, too, because I looked it up a couple different places. Calumny or calumny. C-A-L-U-M-N-Y. Calumny. Was not in this book. Is that like a a, a line of troops? No. Oh, okay. What what is it? A misrepresentation intended to harm another's rep- represent reputation. Oh. Uh, the act of uttering false charges or misrepresentations maliciously calculated to harm another's reputation. I must have just bl- blazed over that word in this book because I don't know it. Uh, no, no, that one wasn't from this book. Oh well. I was just I was just chillaxing, reading some Hamlet, you know. Oh Hamlet. The Dane. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like you do. Okay. Uh, so are, are you done? I'm are done. You, okay. Well, that brings us to the end of this section of the book. We're going to next time read, uh, part two, literally part two through chapter 18. Uh, so read through chapter 18. Don't read chapter 19. Yeah, I got it. Oh my God. <laughs> Hey, I can actually give you page numbers now because we're reading the same book. That's true. Stop after you read page 183. So we're talking about reading nearly 100 more pages, which is a little bit more than the last section that we did. So this is probably going to be a really thick one, but that's that's where the cookie crumbles. So I hope I have enough notebook pages for it. I'm running out of notebooks. And it's like, it's really all that last chapter. That whole last chapter is really like, a chunk. It's 20 pages. A chunk. Man, should I just make that the next one? Nah, chapter? nah, nah. Let's do it. We got okay. time. All right. Okay, well, uh, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Uh, that Atticus had a character growth between the two books. That's a good thing. That's, we want people to do that. People right. should do that. Right. Um. So... Were you, give, were you rapping me? Nope. That would be oh. this. I'm, oh, okay. I'm fanning myself. <laughs> no, I got your hand blurred. I'm, I'm so like, sorry. Oh. No, 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 I... no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Um. Okay.